Vaccines are one of our best and probably our only strategy to completely eradicate disease from a population. And ideally, if you vaccinate a large enough populate proportion of the population, you can develop what's called herd immunity. So that um, even if the infectious disease was introduced into the population, enough people have been vaccinated and have protective immunity that the infection can't, you know, take off. That um, that the population is still protected because a sufficient number have been vaccinated. I'm Gina Vasquez for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. For this episode, I spoke with Dr. Susan Little, a professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at UC San Diego School of Medicine to discuss vaccines. Dr. Little works at the UC San Diego Antiviral Research Center. She is also currently the principal investigator for two of the three clinical trials here in San Diego that are focused on finding a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2, the novel virus that has caused the COVID-19 pandemic. Around the world, at least 53 COVID-19 vaccines are currently undergoing clinical trials. Four of the largest and most promising have reached the final phase three stage. Their safety and effectiveness are now being assessed using tens of thousands of volunteers. UC San Diego is a testing site for three of the big four, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Janssen. It is an uncommon opportunity for San Diegans to be a part of medical history and perhaps get an early shot at immunity from SARS-CoV-2. Due to the pandemic, this interview was recorded remotely by Zoom. Here is Dr. Little. So how do vaccines work? Vaccines can work in a variety of different ways, um, but the principal way in which they all work is to expose the human body to an antigen, a foreign protein or substance that the body makes an immune response to. And that immune response uh, should be protective um, so that when and if the person is exposed to that infectious pathogen in the future, they don't become infected. The body has this amazing ability to develop long-lived memory immune functions so that even when you develop an immune response, many vaccines have the ability to produce long-lived memory immunity so that um, you can be protected from um, uh, infection even uh, years after you've been vaccinated. How long does it normally take from beginning of you know, let's use COVID-19 as an example, mm-hmm. the vaccine for this to it's available and ready for the public. I mean, years, right? Yeah. Yeah, the typical, um, the typical process for normal vaccine timeline is eight to 15 years. And the vaccine process now is being markedly accelerated, um, ideally 12 to 18 months um, during COVID. So, um, and, and again, I think a lot of people worry that that means, you know, important steps are being skipped. Um, I, I think several important things to understand. Um, first, there's an enormous amount of money <laughs> being put into this so that um, many things are being done by many more people so that things can in fact just move faster. Um, and many of the steps are also overlapping and they are in fact just shorter. While typically we would do, um, for instance, in clinical trials, we have so-called phase one, phase two, and phase three. 
um, phase one are very much safety trials that take place in maybe a hundred people. And then phase two trials um, are safety and a little bit of what we call immunogenicity. Does the vaccine make an immune response in the people we're studying? And that would be several hundred to a thousand people. And then phase three are the true efficacy trials um, where um, we look at many thousands of people. Um, does, you know, presumably it's made it through phase two. So we know that the vaccine makes an immune response in the people that are vaccinated. Now we want to know, does that immune response work? Does it prevent people from getting the infection and or is the infection less severe when people acquire the infection? So typically those would be done sequentially, phase one, phase two, phase three. For COVID, they're all being done sort of overlapping. So phase one, two are kind of being joined together. So instead of a small hundred person study, it's a phase one, two, so it's a thousand person study. And sometimes phase two, three is a 10,000 person study. So again, it's, the, it's this conjoined and overlapping process. But safety is not being skipped. Um, that's always the paramount focus on any um, human trial is safety. Um, but without a doubt, um, the, there is also a big emphasis on speed um, because you know people are dying at an alarming rate um, from COVID. So the emphasis is on uh, getting through far enough through a phase three study that um, that enough COVID endpoints have occurred that they can take a look at that data and make a determination whether there is an efficacy signal. And, and that's really the goal. And, and then again, the other processes that are involved in that vaccine production um, are also occurring so that if in fact an early call is made and one of these or many of these vaccines are shown to be effective, um, vaccine production is already taking place. So whether the vaccine works or not, vaccine production is already taking place now. Um, so again, all of these steps are overlapping, shortened, and more money is going into it so that more people are working on the problem altogether. And in terms of the clinical trials that UC San Diego Health is involved in, all three mm -hmm. of those are phase three trials, right? Correct. Can you elaborate more on those three trials and what that means for our local community? Sure. Um, so UCSD is involved in the Moderna study, the AstraZeneca study, and the Janssen study. Um, as you said, all three are phase three, um, which means they're all three large efficacy trials. Um, so we know that all three of those vaccine candidates um, generate um, an immune response in the people who are vaccinated. And now we need to see if any or all of them um, are protective, protect people from COVID. They, uh, the Moderna and the um, AstraZeneca are 30,000 person studies, um, and the Janssen study is roughly 60,000 uh, internationally. And um, each of them has an enrollment period of eight weeks. So again, this goes back to the very fast. Um, so the entire um, group of people who is going to be enrolled nationally or internationally will be enrolled over roughly eight weeks. And again, the goal for that is if we enroll the studies very quickly, um, after uh, two months following the complete vaccine series, so in the case of Moderna and AstraZeneca, they are two vaccines, 
um, you know, a first vaccine and a booster. And for the Janssen, it's a single vaccine. And the FDA has required now a full two months of follow-up following the complete vaccine series before they will look at the first uh, phase of um, efficacy data. Um, and at that point, um, they will hopefully maybe have enough data to make a determination of, about whether or not there is an efficacy signal. If there isn't, meaning maybe there aren't enough cases of COVID in all of the sites, maybe there are, um, the study will, either way, the study will keep going because we always keep the study going for safety reasons, meaning to follow everyone all the way through to the end point of two years for safety reasons, um, looking for long-term safety outcome and more efficacy outcomes. But um, again, I think for people in San Diego, what this means is there are a wealth of opportunities um, for different vaccines and um, uh, to participate in history, frankly. Um, you know, this is a, a tremendous um, time in our history. And I do believe there will be vaccines. I, I don't necessarily believe that we will have a vaccine that prevents COVID. Um, it would be a fantastic advance in science if we had a vaccine that um, reduced the rate of death, reduced disease severity among people who got COVID. Um, and um, it would be fantastic to feel like you were part of one of those studies that, you know, helped your community, um, the people that you represent, um, um, you know, advance science in that way. Would you say that whatever vaccine that we get here is going to be similar to our flu shot where we do have to take one annually because there's a change in strain or something yeah. like that? That's a really good question. I, first, we don't know. Um, and second, it, it is, I think, it is unlikely that it will be due to a change in strain because so far we don't, we don't think that coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, the current um, pause of the current pandemic, it, it doesn't um, mutate or change a lot the way influenza or HIV does. Um, so not, we're not gonna be changing vaccines because the virus is changing a lot. What may be necessary is that people get repeated vaccinations because the, the immunity, the protection from the first vaccine doesn't last very long. So that will have a lot to do with the vaccine and its ability to produce long lasting immunity or protection and less, I think, about the virus. But, you know, we've been wrong many times before and it's possible that we'll learn something and the virus will in fact escape um, the, the protection that you know, has been developed from the, from the vaccine. But right now, I think the big concern is we don't know how long protection will last. And just as an example of that, you know, early on, early on seems an odd concept now we're measuring things in months, but you know, back in February when people were first getting infected, you know, no one was getting reinfected. So, you know, the hope was that once you got um, COVID once, that was it. And now we're starting, you know, seven, eight months into this, we're starting to see reinfections occur. So the, now the, the concern is that maybe people who have gotten infected once, you know, how long does immunity or, you know, people who have, if you've gotten infected once and there isn't any immunity after a first infection, you'd expect to see a lot of second infections right away. 
and we haven't seen that. But if people who get infected once do develop immunity and then that immunity starts to fade, we would expect to see second infections. And now we're starting to see them. They're not common, but we are starting to see them. So just like that in the vaccine process, if we vaccinate people and the immunity that is um, developed as part of the vaccine process starts to fade over time, um, we may need to revaccinate people. And again, we don't know how long um, that vaccine-related protection will last and whether it will last at you know, different lengths of time in different people. It makes sense to think that older adults um, you know, people with less functional immune systems, you know, their immune responses may not be as functional and they may need to be, you know, revaccinated or boosted more often. I'm just guessing. We don't know that right now. Vaccines, it's our real life crystal ball moment. Yeah. How often do people make you look into the future as, as the specialist well, that you are? I mean, I think we have the potential to have you know, this um, sort of miracle moment um, in the sense that we have multiple vaccines that are in the pipeline right now that are being studied. And our hope is not to have one vaccine, but two, three, or four that have some level of efficacy that reduce the seriousness or prevent COVID altogether. I think the challenge we face is that um, the um, acceptance of vaccines for COVID has actually gone down over the last several months. Um, and the most recent polling that I've seen is that less than 50% of the American population would take a, a COVID vaccine right now if it was made available for free and they knew it was said to be effective against COVID-19. So I, I think we have a lot of work right now in front of us because you know, many of us in the scientific field are doing all of this work and are frankly incredibly enthusiastic about the potential that, you know, one or more of these vaccines may have to just change the course of this pandemic. And yet, you know, in six months, we may be sitting here with two or three vaccines that have the potential to change our future. And yet the people in this country won't take them. And I'm not talking about anti-vaxxers because I think that's a select group of people who have historically shunned all vaccines. I'm talking about 50% of the American population who currently have lost faith in you know, this administration and or the medical community and or don't believe in COVID. I'm not entirely sure what the beliefs are that have led to this lack of um, support for a COVID vaccine. But whatever they are, we have a lot of work to do to regain the trust of the American people who are concerned and or fearful of taking a COVID vaccine. And going into that, you know, what could you say to kind of quell those fears? It's not like we just started this vaccine process. I mean, many of these vaccines have not been started from scratch. I mean, the Janssen vaccine uh, the platform, um, you know, they inserted the SARS-CoV-2 spike into the platform, but the platform's been used to vaccinate over 100,000 people already. Many of these vaccine platforms have been used in other infectious diseases. Um, the same is true with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was used in a related coronavirus, um, MERS. 
So a lot of these have already been used. They just sort of quickly transitioned to SARS-CoV-2 um, as you would expect. Now, I like to say, don't worry, it's 100% safe. First, there's no vaccine that is 100% safe. Um, you know, we still have complications related to meningococcal vaccines and measles vaccines and penicillin. You know, every medical product that we deliver still has some risks associated with it. And so it's always a balance of the risk versus the benefit. And we have a pandemic that is killing tens of thousands of people. And so for me, it's really all about the risk versus the benefit. And no, I don't want to say, you know, it's okay. Only a few people are going to die of complications. I don't know if anyone is going to die or develop a complication of a vaccine. What I am saying is that safety has been and will continue to be paramount in the development of all of these vaccines. And, and I think the FDA, at least in my mind, has made me feel more comfortable that they are, in fact, going to hold drug companies or pharmaceutical companies and scientists accountable for making the phase three studies um, go through a certain degree of, of um, finality before they will um, authorize any of the, of the current vaccine candidates. The alternative to a vaccine is to let things continue the way they are going now. And, you know, I don't think anybody thinks the world that we're living in now is, you know, a great option. You know, we're going to be wearing masks and social distancing and living with the, the you know, economic hardship and people losing jobs. And I, I think, you know, we, we want to do everything we possibly can to get people back to, you know, healthy lives um, and being with their families again and, and feeling safe. I'm not trying to say take a vaccine. I'm saying be accepting of information and um, continue to listen because I think there's a lot of information out there. Um, and if you just listen to one source, you may shut down early and decide that um, this isn't something you're willing to consider. When you say platform, could you just explain what that exactly is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are lots of different ways to make a vaccine. Um, there are things like what we call live attenuated, where you take a vaccine and you modify it slightly, but it's still a live virus that can't replicate as well as it used to. So that's one platform. There's another one where we use a piece of DNA um, that has something inserted into it, but it's not replicating. These are all different platforms, different ways in which we insert um, the vaccine into the human body. So there are um, many, many different um, ways to carry the product that's supposed to, that is intended to generate the immune response. And that is what I'm referring to as the platform, the way we're carrying that product that's generating the immune response. In terms of the trials that we're involved in right now, are there any early findings that you would be comfortable speaking to? Um, there are no early findings that I'm aware of because they're all blinded to, still. Um, the, the Pfizer study and the Moderna study, uh, we are UCSD, UC Health is not involved in the Pfizer study, but the, both the Moderna and the Pfizer study are the two that started at the same time in late July. So they are the furthest along, they're nearly fully accrued. Um, so they will be close, they will have the first look at efficacy data. Um, and that will probably occur in late November, early December. 
So that will be, I think, the first look at whether or not one of the two first vaccines in clinical trials may have a, an efficacy signal, as we say. In terms of safety, that one of the things that many people have read about in the news is the AstraZeneca study, which remains on national pause, as we say, in the United States. So the AstraZeneca study did start, so we were site activated at UCSD, but have not yet enrolled anyone. Shortly after we were site activated, there was a um, safety event that occurred in the UK. Um, and um, because of that, the study was put on pause throughout the, the world. Um, and that safety data was reviewed and um, they opened enrollment again. They deemed it to be, I guess, not concerning enough to continue the pause. And so the UK, South Africa, and um, Brazil uh, began enrollment again. Um, but the United States has continued the pause in order to do an, a very thorough review, not just of that one safety event, but of all um, safety events that have ever occurred on the AstraZeneca uh, study platform, as we say. So, um, so we remain on pause. Um, and I think that should reassure people that safety remains the number one concern. So I have no idea if that safety event was or was not related to vaccine. What I am reassured about is that federal regulators and the FDA are taking it very seriously and doing absolute due diligence to decide whether or not it was related or might be related to vaccine. And then we'll make a determination about whether the study should go forward and if so, with what limitations, if any. So again, I think um, people have become very concerned about that news but what I'd rather people took home from it is these sorts of events occur in clinical trials all the time. And this made national news because it's COVID. <laughs> but these sorts of things occur all the time. And so, again, we're not going fast when it comes to safety. If you were to be able to look into a crystal ball and it's yeah. November 2021, you know, Halloween, 2021. Yes. <laughs> Get ready to take my nieces and nephews out to go trick-or-treating. Where would you hope that we are this time next year? I would hope that we have two or three vaccines that have demonstrated at least moderate efficacy against COVID-19. I think the challenge will be distribution. Although I said um, production is already happening, it will be a, a challenge to vaccinate the entire population of the United States, even if half of them refuse, that's still a lot of people. Um, so there are policies that have been developed to try and prioritize who gets vaccinated first, and um, first responders, um, uh, healthcare workers and um, sort of moving down the line, people with underlying conditions, those who live in congregate settings, things like that, and always with consideration of uh, health equity concerns superseding, you know, all of the, the stages of vaccination. So I think that will be the challenge. I think even if we do have those vaccines available a year from now, um, I, my suspicion is that we won't have vaccinated but a small minority of the population, because I, I, don't, I don't know, but my suspicion is we won't have them scaled up yet 
to the stage that we will be able to vaccinate the large majority of the population that wants to be vaccinated. So I think a year from now, we'll still be wearing masks. <laughs> and, um, you know, I hope we've learned to um, adhere better to social distancing and hand hygiene and mask wearing, because I still think that is our number one strategy to prevent the transmission of COVID. And it may still be number one strategy a year from now. I think the horizon is gonna look a whole lot better a year from now, um, because we may have some options that we know are coming. Right now, we don't know that something is coming. We're just hopeful. I think a year from now, I hope that we know something is coming. We know vaccines are out there. And, you know, we have a timeline for when they're coming to us. So what has this experience been like for you? It's, it's an incredibly exciting process. I have never, I've been involved in clinical trials for close to three decades, and I have never done anything like this. <laughs> the scope, the size, the speed. I mean, it's, you know, to be involved in something in the middle of a pandemic like this and to feel like um, we really might have a chance to make a difference in people's lives in the course of one or two years. Um, in the world of infectious diseases, we don't do that that often. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it really, it would be tremendous to be part of the team that, you know, worked on one or more of the vaccines that, that made a difference. That's it for this episode. You can find this episode and all our past N equals one episodes at health.ucsd.edu slash podcast, as well as on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us.